You are listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Next week is the church picnic, and you definitely don't want to miss it because I'm making baked ziti. And I think six other people are too, so that's a joke. If you, if you don't know it, you got it? Okay. Thomas talks about baked ziti at every church potluck. We, are, we have elevated from hot dogs to barbecue, so I think our, our sides are going to go up a little bit too. Like, I'm counting on y'all not to stop at Bojangles on the way in. I'm counting on y'all to cook something real good, you know? So, all right. Y'all with me? Y'all doing well? Praise the Lord. So my message today, if you haven't uh, seen the social media post, it's called The Joyful Life of the Church. I've been thinking about joy in a lot of different areas, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to head towards this topic. I'm going to preach a few messages on the joyful life of the church, and actually, I am so excited about it. I've had six cups of coffee this morning, and the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of me today, so I'm having to work really hard just to like dial it in just a little bit, so forgive me in advance if I go off the rails. You just never know what's going to happen, right? So I want to start with two passages of Scripture. The first is found in the Gospel of John. In the first chapter, it goes like this. I think we have it on the slide. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So Moses gave us the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, I just I want to add real quickly, um, a lot of people read this as <clears throat> something bad and something good. So like something bad came through Moses and something good came through Jesus. It's not a case of that. It's something that's good and then something that's better. All right, so the law was good, is good. It came through Moses, but it was insufficient, okay? And something better, grace and truth, came through Jesus Christ, all right? So the New Living Translation says it this way, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. I love that version. Okay, so the next passage I'm gonna read to you is found in 1 Timothy 3, Um, It goes like this. God's household, which is the church of the living God, is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. I don't know if you know that scripture, but it's a good one. This is God's household right now. This is not the only God's household, but we are a part of God's household. If you want to know what you're doing here, God's household, which is the church of the living God, is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So today, this is kind of kind of weird, but we're holding up truth in the world. It's, I mean, that's a little bit of a problematic statement, but that's what the Bible says. You can take issue with it. You can wrestle with it. But that is the claim that scripture is making, all right? That's going to be our, those two scriptures are going to be our jumping off point today. So, but before I go any further, I want to tell you guys a story, all right? So about 15 years ago, I found myself in a moment of great need, and I happened to stumble into a miracle of provision. So here's the thing about miracles. 
I probably asked for this miracle, but I didn't expect it to come true. All right. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? Like you, you pray with your eyes squinted shut tightly and you just hope against hope that maybe God will hear your prayer. Well, I was in a moment of great need and uh, God definitely heard my prayer. So Amy and I, this was about 15 years ago, Amy and I were young parents. Um, and, and by the way, <clears throat> Amy is turning 28 tomorrow. It's her birthday. So, yeah. So anyways, my beautiful bride. So she's not really 28. So, Because <laughs> that would make the rest of my story really awful. So, but back in the, the years when Amy and I were young parents, we were traveling from North Carolina from my parents' house. They lived down in Mississippi and we had six small kids and that's a 10 hour drive from Mississippi to Charlotte. And so we lost our minds somewhere going through Atlanta. So we decided to pull over and get a hotel room and spend the night and get the kids out of the car, let them watch Blue's Clues a little bit. And so everybody could not kill each other the rest of the way home. But uh, as we were checking in at the front desk, I heard a sound coming from somewhere. And the sound sounded like church, all right? So there was like loud singing, loud shouting. And I asked the person working behind the desk, what is that noise? And they said back to me, that is a church. And so I knew right then and there, I had to go. I was a person in need. I was a person in a desperate moment. I did not know this, these people or this place, but I heard a sound and I was drawn to it. So I don't know. Sometimes I'm drawn to God more when I'm hungry or when I have a need, when I'm desperate for something. You know, when you're, when your life is doing really well, I'm not against doing well in your life, but sometimes when we're doing well in our lives, we have less hunger for God and, and we can be thankful for the times when we need God because those are the things that lead us to him. Amen. So um, the thing about this situation that I was about to get myself into was that I was not dressed appropriately. But I didn't realize that until I opened the door to go into the room where I was headed. But I had already committed myself to going to this church and it would have been more awkward if I'd retreated. But there I was in flip-flops, a t-shirt full of holes, and the baggiest pair of cargo shorts you have ever seen. But it did not matter. Nobody seemed to mind. It was strange, though. After a few minutes of being in that worship service, I did have the thought, how exactly did I end up here? I remember singing, and I remember worshiping, and I remember feeling the power of the Holy Spirit. I was so glad I was there. I can't remember what the preacher preached, but I'm sure it was good. And as he was finishing, I got up to sneak out the back so that I could get back to Amy and the kids because they had gone up to the hotel room. But as I reached for the door, I was stopped by the usher and he said to me, brother, you can't leave. Pastor would like you to stay so that the church can pray for you. And what I thought was after service ended, they had a prayer team up on the front row here that you could come up and receive prayer ministry. But that is not what he meant. 
<clears throat> Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever thought that you had gotten all that you needed only for someone to stand in your way because you haven't quite gotten all that you needed yet? Well, the truth is I was surprised, but I was not afraid. I know how to pay attention when God is trying to help me. So I went back to my seat. I sat down and then the pastor called me up to the front of the whole church <laughs> and he called folks up to come up and lay hands on me and they proceeded to pray over me and prophesy over me with great enthusiasm. And um, <clears throat> I would like to add that I was the only white person in the room. It was a very special moment for me, honestly. I have so many reasons <clears throat> that I am thankful for the church, but this is a special one in my life. This moment marked me. This moment marked me. This was, this was a moment of God's intervention in my life where he gave me something. He actually gave me more than I knew that I needed. There was a deposit in those prayers and those prophetic words that were given to me in that moment that, that really shaped my life. For the rest, I mean, it shaped me still to this day. I'm, I'm telling you this story 15 years later. <clears throat> I walked into that church as someone who needed help. And that church recognized that. And they took it upon themselves to help me. The church provided for me. They spoke truth over me. <clears throat> they were the embodiments of that passage found in James. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, <clears throat> the sad moral of this story is I still wear cargo shorts. <clears throat> but, but when I think about that church that I stumbled into so many years ago, I think about the fact that they were a church without a building, but they were already a home. They had to rent a space in a hotel so that they could gather together, but they were already a home for people and they were already a habitation for God. They were the church. They were being the pillar and foundation of truth. They knew who they were in God and to God. They knew that they were the church. They knew what God wanted to do. He wanted to do through them. And they were not ashamed of the gospel. They were not apologetic of who they were or their ministry in the world. They were not apologetic of the gospel. They were not apologetic of who they were. They were not apologetic of the ministry, the ministry that they had to offer people walking through the world and they freely gave it away. <clears throat> they understood that they were the pillar and the foundation of truth. What is this truth? 
It is God's unfailing love. It is the very good news that man is not alone, that God loves mankind, that he lived and he died on a cross and he rose from the dead and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and then he sent his Holy Spirit and he began his project of building his church. This is what God is doing. He is building his church. Have you ever asked yourself, what? is the project that God is working on. He is building up his church. He is beautifying his church. He is beautifying his bride. God is enthusiastic about his church. It's important to know this because we're walking through a world that isn't always so. And sometimes that version of reality can stick to us if we're not careful. And we can start taking for granted the things that God is enthusiastic about. We can begin to miss seeing the things that God has called the most important things. And it's actually fair. The critique and the scandal that's been disclosed within the church. We can't look away from those things. But that isn't the whole story of what the church is. So I'd like to put it to you this way. God has a problem. God is not good at choosing the right people to lead and build his church. God is not good at keeping sinners out of his church. But finally, the biggest issue that God has is that the, pe- is the people that he has called to the church are terrible at public relations. <clears throat> Isn't that great? So they, they, were, they were trying. They were so sincere. There's so much earnestness. We love hurting people. I am a fan of the Oxford comma. But I don't think it would have even fixed this sign. But here's the thing. We don't have to be shocked that the church is filled with people who have been formed by the law, who have been deformed by the world, Because they will ultimately be transformed by Christ. Let me say that to you again. Because this is the outline that I'm jumping off of. We don't have to be afraid. That there are people in our midst. Who have religious mindsets. Who have been formed by the law of Moses. And we don't have to worry. That there are people in our midst. Who have been deformed or wounded, or hurt by the world. Because ultimately, we do not underestimate our Savior. And we know that the ill-formed and the deformed, which includes all of us, will be transformed in and through the hands of Christ. The church, us, we are the church, y'all. We take in people who have been formed by the law. 
I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter is known as the man who denied Christ three times. But Christ chose this man to be the apostle of the church. But, but honestly, if you read through the whole course of scripture, Peter was a very, um, he was all over the road. He was all over the map. He was a wavering man. He was a waffling man. He was a man of great inner turmoil and conflict. He was not steady. But he, And even after Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was still a person who was being changed by the love of Christ. Even after Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was actively engaged in hypocrisy. See, we always think of Peter as falling before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So... In, in, in Jesus's way to the cross, you know this story. Jesus, uh, Peter denies Jesus three times and says he wept bitterly over this. And then we see in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit descends on the church and Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he preaches this wonderful message and 3,000 people meet Jesus. And then not very much longer, Peter was actively engaged in hypocrisy. And the reason is he was a man formed by the law. He was a man who knew the law of Moses, his inner world. The thoughts that he had about God were formed by the law. Poor Peter, this guy's testimony is forever written in the canon of scripture. This guy cannot catch a break. You think after we see him preaching in the book of Acts that he would be let off the hook, but it's not the case. In Galatians 2, the apostle Paul, he puts this in his own letter for all of history to see that Peter is like the rest of us. He is a work in progress. This is what Peter's sin was. He had been so formed by the law of Moses that he could not include into the church those that the law of Moses said were excluded from the church. The law was good, but it's not as good as the grace and truth released in Jesus Christ, revealed in Jesus Christ. So, so the church in the early days were being formed By the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit was putting pressure on these early apostles because they were used to thinking about God one way. And the Holy Spirit was pressuring them out of their comfort zone, pushing them to places that they had not yet gone to in their minds and in their hearts. So Peter was involved in this hypocrisy, and and Paul writes this. Yeah, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was wrong. Peter ate lunch with the new Christians, the Gentiles, who were not keeping the Jewish customs. But when the Christians who were keeping the Jewish laws showed up, Peter stopped eating with the Gentile believers. And I had to oppose him to his face in in front of all of these people. Peter, Paul put this in the canon of scripture. I mean, man, how would you like it if all of your deficiencies were written down in the canon of scripture for everybody to see for all the rest of eternity? It's not a fair deal. But nevertheless, this is what happens when a person is formed by the law 
and they're in the church and they're leading the church. We don't have to be shocked when there's others like that in the church in our day and age. If you uh, men and let, let me say this, the work of the church has been messy and controversial from the very start. You think there's controversy in the church right now? That's nothing new. This has been going on since the very beginning. If you have a religious system that your heart and your mind have been formed by, then you are in good company and you are in the right place. The church is where hypocrites go to learn a better way. Yeah, this is where you've come to learn a better way. This is where we go to learn the Jesus way rather than the ways that the religious ways that we've been formed by. So don't be shocked when you see hypocrisy in the church. There is hypocrisy everywhere. If it can be in the apostle Peter, it can be in us. And we are here in the church so we can change. Right? Okay. So my next point is this. The church takes in people who have been deformed by the world. So we heard earlier that the law comes by Moses, but grace and truth comes by Jesus Christ. Every episode in early, in the early church story is absolutely radical. There is a radical new inclusion going on in the book of Acts, happening on the pages of every New Testament book. And one of my favorites is the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. All right. What is a eunuch? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a little bit um, hard to talk about. And I, I've tried to be as, um, as, it's hard for me not to be crass, but I've done my best. So a eunuch is a man who has been deformed by the world. They have been mutilated. Their sex organs have been removed. And here's the most important part. According to the law of Moses... They are unclean and they do not belong in the household of God. According to the law of Moses, it was totally not okay for somebody who had been deformed by the world to be in the house of God. There's a passage in Deuteronomy 23 that gives a list of all the types of people who were to be excluded from the assembly of saints. In other words, these people in this list in Deuteronomy 23 were all of those who were considered not clean enough to be in the house of God and not in the presence of God. And at the very top of that list was, guess, the eunuchs. So fast forward 1,500 years later. The book of Acts in the 8th chapter, we see a man. He's sitting on a chariot that's pulled over on the side of the road. And he's reading a scroll. He's a eunuch from Ethiopia. And he is reading from the book of Isaiah. And he's trying to understand it. And the passage says that the Ethiopian eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Imagine that. Imagine being someone who loved God so much 
that you would travel all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God, but according to the law of the God that you worship, you are not even allowed into the assembly of the household of God where you want to worship. How committed is that person? It's written in the Bible that he is not allowed, but the hunger to know God is driving him all the way from Ethiopia to a place that he knows he will not be allowed into. That's a hunger, y'all. And the text says this man was rich. He had money. In those days, you had to have money to have a chariot and a chariot driver and to have have a scroll. He had a scroll. He had his own Bible. You had to have money for that to be true. He wasn't going to let a little bit, little money keep him out of the presence of God. He was hungry. But Philip, Philip, the apostle Philip had been gotten a hold of. Philip had gotten a hold of the grace and the truth that had come through Jesus Christ. And Philip runs into this Ethiopian eunuch and he explains the gospel, but he doesn't explain it using the New Testament because the New Testament had not been written. He uses the book of Isaiah to convince this man that he belonged in the house of God. It's the interesting thing about the Old Testament because in the law of Moses, there are certain things said But as the trajectory starts heading along in the history towards the incarnation of Jesus, things begin to change and new things begin to get revealed. And the grace and truth that was ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ begins to sneak up in the book of Isaiah. You know, Philip had to use the Old Testament to explain the gospel of Jesus because the New Testament had not been written yet. Do you know that Philip read this man who had been deformed by the world? Isaiah 56. It goes like this. Check this out, y'all. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath day holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commits their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. Do you know what that man did next? He said, we got to find a watering hole because I want to be baptized. The God of the gospel of Jesus revealed what was already in the pages of the law and the prophets. And after the eunuch heard this revelation, He was baptized by Philip, forever included in the household of God. What had been deformed by the world had been taken in by the church of God and transformed forever. And it says that Ethiopian eunuch, he went on his way rejoicing. The church is full of people, full of people who have been deformed by the world 
And we should expect that and not be shocked by it. We should expect those that have been wounded by the world to find their way into our midst. And we should include them in the house of God because the gospel of Jesus Christ does. The Ethiopian man was a eunuch until his dying day. He had to carry that reality with him. Are you willing to walk a long distance with someone who is carrying something like that? Something that won't go away? So often our expectation is that people will come into the house of God and their lives will straighten up right away. You know what? People carry difficult things for really long times. How long will you walk with somebody? Will you chill out on your self-righteousness so that somebody can be healed by the Holy Spirit in the household of God? Will you walk with somebody long enough so that God's patience can endure with somebody so that they can ultimately encounter the saving power of grace that comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit? How many people remove themselves from our assembly because of the self-righteousness and the hypocrisy that comes out of the church because they're unwilling for the unclean eunuchs to be in their midst? The church is filled with Ethiopian eunuchs. In some sense, we all have something within us that is hard to carry, hard to deal with, things that seem to count us out, but God himself has counted us in. This is what the church is. It is a place where the counted out are counted in. The church that you belong to, the church of Jesus Christ, the pillar of grace and truth is the place where the counted out are literally counted in. That is what defines us, y'all. But God still has a problem. God still has a problem. If the church is full of people who have been either formed by the law or deformed by the world, how could anything good come out of this project? How exactly are we qualified to be the pillar and foundation of truth? Let me say it to you this way. Our formation by the law our deformation by the world, our ill formation by whatever is transformed by being blessed, broken, and given away by the man Christ Jesus. That's how you and I become successful at church building. That's how you and I become successful in all of our hypocrisy, in all of our wounds. The Savior, Christ Jesus, blesses us, he breaks us, and he gives us. I think about that story. It's, it's in every gospel. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Hopefully you know it. Jesus has this big group of people He's been preaching to them all day. Imagine listening to a preacher all day. I mean, you would get a little hungry, right? 
But it was Jesus's big setup. But in this moment, Jesus is given this little bit of food, these loaves and these fishes. And the thing about this story and the feeding of the 5,000 is the thing that was put in the hands of the Savior was meager. It was meager. It wasn't much. The loaves and the fishes were placed in Jesus' hands and they were dry, they were stale, and they were insignificant to the task or the job of feeding a multitude of hungry people. Have you all ever felt in your own life, I'm dry, I'm stale, I'm insignificant, and I definitely do not want to be broken because I'm already dry, I'm already stale, and I'm already insignificant. What could God possibly do with me? But this is the work of Jesus, y'all. Maybe today you feel like Peter formed by the expectations of the law, wanting to live up to the ways of God, but you are dry and stale like those loaves and fishes. Maybe today you feel like the Ethiopian eunuch. Maybe you feel like there is too much wrong with you, too much wrong about you to be in the house of God. Maybe you feel insufficient. But church, This is the good news. We don't have to be afraid of who we are. This is who we are. And that is what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for hypocrites. He's looking for eunuchs. He's looking for people who are dry and stale, who feel insignificant because he wants to bless us. He wants to break us. And he wants to give us away because he knows that for you and me, that is actually where true life is. We, we work so hard to look for our lives everywhere out here in the, in the places of wealth and ambition and success. Man, I'm telling you, I've been watching messages preached by Dr. Cornell West all week, and I have been just stunned by this man. I mean, this, this is one of the greatest apostles in our church today. And the thing that this guy keeps coming back to I have decided to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. There's nothing to be gained in the world of wealth. There's nothing to be gained in the world of ambition and success. The only thing that we can continually go back to and lean on is the man, Jesus Christ, and his love. And as we let him take our broken lives, he is faithful to administer them and feed a world that is desperately hungry for him. Y'all, you maybe counted yourself out and the spirit of God is counting you all the way in. You don't even have to change your life. You just have to give your life to him. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You just have to simply say yes to the Holy Spirit this morning. We may be dry and stale. We may be insufficient. But in God's hands of unfailing love and faithfulness, we are transformed. Transformed. In Christ's hands, we are held up and blessed. 
In Christ's hands, we are broken. And in Christ's hands, we are given to the world so that many will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want to just say this. I, I have gotten my evangelical mojo back. And, and let me, I'll just explain that for just a second. I, I have struggled for a long time about different theological issues. You know, life is complex. There are many questions within the world that we live in that are hard to find answers for. I am a man who has very few answers. And rather than kind of like resisting that, what I've decided to do is let the Lord crush me under the mystery of all that I do not understand. And I've, I've asked him to let me introduce people to Jesus because Jesus is really worth knowing. I don't care what you think about the afterlife. I don't care what you think about hell or heaven. I don't care what you think about eternal damnation or not. I mean, Jesus has a lot to say about all of those things. I haven't quite figured all of that out yet, but I do know this. Jesus Christ is worth knowing. And I know a whole lot of people that actually need him in their lives. But what I've witnessed happening is that there's, there has come a critique. There has come a story that has rested on our ears. And it's a story different than the one Jesus has been trying to tell us. And we have believed that story more than we have believed the one that the Holy Spirit is telling us. And I'm telling you, you don't have to have your life together. You don't have to go to a fancy church. You don't have to pray eight hours a day. You can release, you can uh, reveal Jesus to people just by simply talking about him. And it's like Shelly said earlier on. It's like, it's really hard to go on with God if you don't care about him or if you're not filled up with him. That's a real thing that we, we deal with, isn't it? I, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm the king of that. But I'm just so thankful that the grace of God is drawing us, drawing us, drawing us back into this flow where we are like that church that I was telling you about. We are not apologizing for the mission of introducing people to Jesus Christ. We're not apologizing for laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. We are not apologizing for laying hands on one another and prophesying. We are not apologizing. We are not ashamed of praying for each other so that we can be encouraged. That is the benefit of being in the household of God. Amen. Let's just stand up together. I do. I want to, I want to step out. I want to do something just a little bit different this morning. So bear with me. Just forgive me in advance. Okay. Just say to yourself, Andy's weird. I forgive him in advance. Right. But in the new Testament church, they did this thing all the time 
where they took a hand and they put it on another person and they prayed. They prayed over that person. Okay? I want us to do that this morning. We're going to do that. If it's weird to you, I'm sorry. But just ignore this part of the service if you don't want to do it. But for those of you who do want to do this, it's going to be awesome. Okay? So here's what I want you to do. Look at the person next to you. Ask them if it's okay if you put your hand on them. If you see somebody who's near you who doesn't have somebody, find a person. And you will live through this, I promise. You will live through this. Rather than depending on the preacher to pray the prayer this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 30 seconds and pray a blessing over the person that you're with right now. Let's just practice practice this for a little bit. Just gather together in your group and just begin to pray out loud over each other. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Holy Spirit. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Release your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let your blessing go forth, Lord. Jesus. Blessings of courage and strength. Healing. Healing, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let the waters of your river rise, Lord. Let the waters of your river rise. All right, I'm going to give you a 15-second count. Amen, amen, amen. You know what that's called? That's called the church being the church. That's called the church being the church. Listen, church is not us coming to church and hearing other people sing songs and just listening to a guy preach all the time. We, we, honestly, Robin and Donna and Amy and myself and Chris, Chris and Brandy, we want to have a culture where we are taking care of each other. In the practical, we want to bring each other meals. We want to visit each other in the hospital. We want to take each other out to lunch. But we also want to be praying and prophesying for to each other because 
Everybody needs to be encouraged in this world right now. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I killed it this morning. It's only 12.05. Yes, I'm getting better and better. Listen, if you can pack the Holy Ghost in the 25 minutes, I say do it. Rather than an hour and a half. You know what I mean? Um, we have prayer ministry time. If you need more prayer this morning, we got some folks up here that would love to pray for you, with you, whatever you need. We've got it. Um, make sure you don't leave too quickly. Say hello. Give somebody a holy kiss, Christian side hug. And uh, we'll see you all next week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.